Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, a podcast and YouTube series hosted by real estate investor, author, and coach Brian O'Neill. Tune in each week as we interview business owners who have successfully planned and executed their W2 Prison Break. You'll hear their stories, learn about their challenges, and what ultimately pushed them over the edge and gave them the courage to break free. Most importantly, you'll discover they are not much different than you. Listen in each week as we give you useful insights and action items to start your W-2 prison break and get you on the path you were always meant to be on. Hey there, friend. Hope you're having a great day. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the W-2 Prison Break Show. As always, I just want to express my gratitude for you taking the time out of your day and listening to our podcast because you have a lot of choices. So that means a lot to me. I do appreciate it. And if you find these episodes helpful, I just ask that you share it with someone, one person that'll help reach a lot more people and support the mission of the show, which is to educate, inspire 1 million people to quit their W-2 jobs and start the business of their dreams by the end of 2026. If you get behind that, please share it. And that will be super helpful because this goal is huge and I cannot do it alone. Okay, today we're going to be talking to a guy by the name of John Rickgarn. And John and I recently connected on social media through LinkedIn. We have similar shows and you'll hear about it. I'm not going to give it away now, but just a funny connection. We said, hey, yeah, we both kind of share the same vision and mission when it comes to W2. And we decided to be on each other's shows. LinkedIn is a great place to network and connect. So I would encourage you to do that. I'm not on there enough. But anyways, John and I are going to talk today about what you're going to hear is pretty much the biggest fear that most of you have, or most of us have, was my biggest fear when it comes to leaving your W-2 and doing something different is money and not having the confidence that you know how to make money in different ways. And this is just a story you tell yourself. Money is literally everywhere. You just got to learn how to get it. So we're going to talk today about different income streams, different ways to put your money to work, passive income, and some of the favorite things that John likes to invest in that don't require a lot of his time and his strategies that you'll hear about. And then his story, like why he decided to leave his W-2. It's going to be a great show. And without any further delay, let's get to it. John, welcome to the show. It's good to be chatting with you, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's nice to, well, e-meet you finally, I should say. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. We met, I think it was on LinkedIn. We have similar missions and Mm -hmm. similar shows, and we just thought it was appropriate to have you on and talk about the W-2 and that whole world and our thoughts about it. We have some pretty biased thoughts because we both (laughs) lived it. We have exactly. Yeah, I was reading a little bit about on your website. We'll get to that in a minute here, but you had a pretty... We're going to talk about what you're doing now for sure, but you had a pretty interesting blurb that you put in there, if you will, about (laughs) how your wife came to you a while back. I want you to tell that story and then we'll kind of pick that apart and dive into it, please. Yeah. So uh, this was kind of my aha moment, if you want to call it, where my uh, wife was working at a, you know, very demanding, stressful job. And long story short, she had just had it. So like, I'm done. Call me up. It's like, yep, I support you. You've been miserable for months. And she always wanted to go back, get her doctorate, become a college professor. That was her dream job. And it's like, you know, I fully support you and we still got my income, you know, we'll be okay, et cetera. And I don't remember the exact day, but it was an evening of November, 2014. 
And, you know, my mind is just kind of going, it's like, all right, you know, we're going to be down to one income, obviously going to have uh, student loans start clipping up with her going back to her doctorate. And at the time I was in office equipment sales, so I kind of started thinking of, you know, okay, I can upgrade this machine earlier, I can add this, I can push this proposal, et cetera, et cetera. And just kind of had an awakening moment then that at that point I was 31 years old. And if I was to essentially relive my entire life, that 31 year span, I'd be working 40, 50, 60 hours a week during that whole time. And I still wouldn't be at the arbitrary retirement age of 62 or 65, you know, 65 that society always pushes. And then the second aha moment was like, well, what's to say I'm going to get there because both my parents passed away of cancer in their 50s. So then I was kind of like, what's the point of deferring all this for later in life, work, 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 save, save, save for a tomorrow that isn't guaranteed. And that was just kind of my awakening moment of, I don't know what my path forward is going to be, but I need to make a change. Awesome. I love it. You said a lot there. Number one, good on you for supporting your wife and her wanting to get out of the W-2 because mm-hmm. not a lot of people would have done that. They said, hey, we right. <laughs> need your income. You got to suck yeah. it up. So really good on you to do that and support her. Obviously, it sounds like it had been marinating for a while. Okay, so your income's basically going down to half, it sounded like you said. Yeah, give or take roughly, yeah, so. All right, so that could be very daunting for a lot of people. Like, did you have to change your lifestyle, like your expenses? I mean, talk a little bit about Not tremendously. So at the time, we were the so-called acronym, the DINKS, uh, double income, no kids. So we did have a fair amount of discretionary income. So I mean, yeah, we traveled, we went out to eat a fair amount. So it wasn't like, oh my gosh, we're barely scraping by and now we're going to be you know, in poverty. But I mean, obviously, you're going to have to make adjustments of, okay, we're going to eat out less. And like I said, I started looking at my job where I had a salary plus commission. It's like, well, the commission is not capped at a level so I can work harder and make more money. (laughs) So Right, right. Okay. And then the other piece, John, that I wrote down was, I mean, at 31 years old, very insightful to have that. I certainly didn't think that way. (laughs) 31 years old, I was of the mindset like, hey, I'm going to work here for like another 30 years and I'll yep. be right as, right as rain because that's what my dad did, right? Yeah. What was the event with your wife? What kind of made you think about that? Or did you have some other epiphany that? Yeah, it was, like I said, it was just really kind of that. But then also, I mean, like I said, my parents passed away in their 50s. My dad passed away when I was 11. My mom when I was 16. And I don't know, we've just been so ingrained of go to school, get a job, work, save for 30, 40 years, and eventually you retire. And it was really just kind of this awakening moment of, well, what's to say I'm going to make it to age 65? I mean, not to say, yep, I know I'm going to die early, but tomorrow's never guaranteed. And it's just society as a general, we are just kind of like shoving this square peg in a round hole of you must do this, you must do this one path. And I just kind of figured it's like there has to be a different path than the traditional ones. And there is, and we're going to get deep into that. I agree a million percent. All right. So now we're, we're going to fast forward here. So give the listeners the rest of that story. What, what ended up happening with your wife? And then let's talk about what you're doing now and, and everyone that you're helping. Sure. So my wife did uh, you know, leave her job. Well, she went back to college, but you know, she found a couple little like part-time gigs or side gigs, if you want to call it that. But fast forward, then she graduated let's see, this was 2019 and started working full-time at the university at fall of 2019. So she's in her fourth year, if my math is right. (laughs) So that was 
you know, a lot of studying, a lot of reading, a lot of lectures, a lot of proofreading papers in that time frame there. As far as myself, I was kind of at the point of, I didn't know what I didn't know, but at the time I was in sales, it wasn't uncommon for me to put 100, 200 miles a day. And then I came across this thing called podcast. I'm not much of a audio or audible book reader. I like to actually physically read books, but I did find podcast entertaining. So I'm like, well, I'm behind a windshield five days a week. Might as well make more use of it than listening to music. And just kind of went down various rabbit holes of real estate investing, promissory notes, Roth IRAs, tax strategies, et cetera. And like I said, this was late 2014. I started, made my first real estate investment in 2016, just been kind of building it up slowly since then and has grown to a portfolio across five states as of this recording. Awesome. I love it. Okay. So you learned all of this stuff by watching podcasts. Did you like supplement any of it with courses or coaching or anything like that? Not really any courses or coaching. I did a few seminars. There was one I went to Indianapolis, put on by Epic Real Estate with Matt Terrio, which I liked a lot of the concepts, but I'm more of a buy and hold investment. You know, I'm not a flipper. I'm not a wholesaler. I'm not a syndicator or anything like that. I just like the buy and hold strategy and get monthly passive cash flow. That's kind of my philosophy of just getting multiple diverse streams of passive income that aren't dependent on you putting in a six, eight, 10 hour workday. Love it. Okay. You're doing this alongside while you were still working your W2. Do I have that correct? Yeah. You know, like I said, I kind of started my education piece really kind of early 2015, made my first real estate investment in 2016. Then September of 2019, I left my W2 job. Ironically, when my wife kind of went back into the workforce, but she was in a lot better place and enjoyed her work at that point. So, All right. So this is important for a timeline because I talk a lot about giving yourself a realistic timeline Mm -hmm. if you want your life to change. You didn't just jump in and quit. (laughs) Right. So you spent a year, about a year educating yourself. Then you did your first real estate deal. So it sounds like three to four years from the time that you really kind of got serious and started it was when you left. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, It was... Yeah, almost five years from the time that I had my epiphany to the time that I turned in my resignation letter. So awesome. Well, good for you. And the other question I'll ask you was that five years, did it feel like a long time looking back? In hindsight, I would say yes. The last year, it was when I started kind of seeing the momentum building where my philosophy has always been kind of financial freedom, one bill at a time. So I kind of broke down my monthly expenses and would match them up with monthly income streams. So Real life example, my investment property in Memphis, Tennessee through Mid-South Homebuyers, that pays for our two life insurance policies and our natural gas bill every month. So I just kind of started to match those up and it got to the point of, okay, well, that bill's paid for by passive income. That bill's paid for by passive income. And more and more of the regular, shall I say, fixed monthly bills were kind of on autopilot. And I mean, I'm a real estate agent. I have a number of side hustles as well that I enjoy doing, but I kind of have that more from the supplemental income where, okay, if I want to work harder, sell a large house, get a five-figure payday, it's like, okay, let's, I don't know, go on a cruise or buy another investment property then. Nice. I love it. Okay. So maybe talk a little about, a lot of real estate investors listen to the show, John. So maybe talk about maybe a strategy or two that you love, or maybe your first deal, Matt, I leave it to you. Everyone's always interested in how to do deals. Well, I, I always kind of share my first deal because it's, Kind of unique. You know, a lot of people say, you know, start with a single family home and then work your way up, you know, multiplexes. And I just did everything reverse. Our first property was a fourplex. (laughs) And 
it hit all the criteria, you know, hit the 1% rule. It was newer construction, didn't have to worry about lead paint, asbestos, caving roof, all that fun stuff. But, you know, okay, fourplex, you know, $300,000. And it's like, oh, geez, am I biting off more than I can chew here? And I still remember a quote from Robert Kiyosaki of, don't say, I can't afford it. Ask, how can you afford it? I mean, it was pretty daunting. It's like, okay, 25% down payment plus closing costs on a $300,000 property. You can do the math. It's like, you know, I don't have that under a mattress, <laughs> but I just kind of started to think, it's like, okay, what are some options? And came down to it, our financial advisor said, well, you know, you've had this Roth IRA since you were 19. Did you know you could take out your contributions tax-free, which I didn't know. I was always told you put money in a retirement account, you don't touch it till 65. So the down payment was very anti-Dave Ramsey, anti-Susie Orban, you know, pulling money out of a Roth IRA. And that was the down payment for our first investment property. Beautiful. And I love it. How can I afford it? That's a great quote. Talk about how, do you still have that deal? Yep, still have it actually. So I've already uh, refinanced once when the rates were starting to go lower and refinanced to four and a half percent. So actually bumped up our cash flow about $400 a month, I think at the time. Plus it was a little longer amortization schedule. Yeah, still have that deal. And like I said, expanded into Arizona, Iowa, Alabama, and Tennessee since then. Yeah. And clearly you don't live in all those places at once. So right. <laughs> the thing I do like about, I'll ask you to expand on investing out of your markets really kind of forces you to think more like a business owner because you got to get all the people to help you take care of the stuff. Right. Right. What do you do? Well, I always do a site visit. It's actually, let's see, this was 2019. My wife and I, we did a road trip, checked out uh, numerous turnkey markets, some we liked, some we didn't, but we've always kind of wanted to invest in places we like to visit. You know, we kind of, shall we say, felt at home there. We're nice attractions. It's like, hey, it'd be kind of nice to visit here because then going down the rabbit hole, you can take additional tax deductions and write off your vacations. But we really like Birmingham, Alabama, Memphis, Tennessee, have been invested in those since then. The Arizona one was actually kind of a Really strange story. It ended up being a friend of a friend of my father-in-law mm-hmm. who was looking to sell his condo. He did it as a VRBO. We bought it off market. We use it once or twice a year when we're staying down in Tucson and we rent out the rest of the time. And we got in right before the crazy real estate market. So it's about doubled in value since we bought it. Wow. You're going to hit some home runs if you're in the Yeah, game. not that that's the normal path. Not that you should expect that every time, but it's just like, wow, that was unexpected. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay. So You've handled the money block. I'm going to ask you a little bit about some of your other investing strategies for passive income. This is a huge block for most people that are looking to leave their job is they just don't know how to make money in other ways. And they don't understand that money's literally everywhere and you Mm -hmm. just have to learn how to get it, right? Right. So you eliminated the money fear. That was probably one of the blocks you had leaving your job. Anything else that was kind of preventing you from leaving the W-2? I guess probably the... You know, having enough of a safety cushion, so to speak. So like 2019, I knew I was on my way out. So there was a number of deals where, you know, hey, this lease doesn't expire for another six, 18 months. It's like, well, I'd rather upgrade it now and get paid something versus leave that money on the table. So 2019, I had uh, my second best year. And I say second best too, because it was about uh, eight and a half months of the year when I left. Well, stacked cash, so to speak, as Dave Ramsey called it. But also had a game plan in place where, okay, now my wife's going to be working full time where right, wrong, right, different health insurance is probably one of the biggest kickers for entrepreneurs 
wanting to leave their jobs like oh geez you know what about those health insurance premiums it's like well if you're married you know have a family member that can supplement that that can take a big burden off your shoulders yeah i mean me personally i'd rather pay three times as much for health insurance and have to <laughs> have to ask somebody to go on vacation or worry about getting fired exactly um, i don't pay three times as much i'm being facetious there but right yeah. And thanks for sharing, John. What are some of the other like pass? We hear this word all the time, passive income, right? Sure. Yeah. But- as far as passive, I think it's kind of funny. I run into this with blogs and numerous times like, well, what do you do for passive income? And you hear people like, oh, I sell stuff on eBay. I have my real estate license. I run a Toro business with used cars or whatever. And I'm kind of laughing like, do you understand what passive means? That's active income. But Regardless, for actual passive income, I've always been a big fan of real estate, you know, buy and hold, start to get more into syndications where, you know, okay, I don't have the expertise to take down a, let's just say a hundred unit apartment complex or a big self-storage unit, but I can put dollars $50,000 of my own money into a syndication and receive monthly or quarterly distributions that way. Also, it's no longer available. One of the routes I really liked was a lending club. It was a peer-to-peer lending platform that I used for years. So where you're basically the bank and receiving interest payments. I don't like the tax treatment of it so much, but I do like the passivity of that income stream, whether it's private lending, trust deeds, mortgages, et cetera. Okay, perfect. So thank you for clearly defining what passive is. You do something want. Now there's different levels of passive, right? Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, passive, but maybe not uninvolved income. <laughs> Correct. But a syndication is about as truly passive as you can get. You know, oh. spend an hour or two researching the operators and the deal, and then you just give them your money and you just wait for the checks to come in the mail. And I would challenge you and say that you probably are. You do have the ability to take down a 100-unit building. So Maybe someday. At this point, I'm probably not. <laughs> yeah, true, but you did take the fourplex down and yeah, good on you there. All right. So you got a couple of different platforms that you speak about that you have shows on. So I want to talk about that again. That's one of the reasons that we met is we have similar names, but yeah, let's chat about that. Kind of taking a step back. So in beginning of 2020, I started my education website, blog, the Wealth and Freedom Nexus, and I kind of just had it as a conduit of here are the resources, books, podcasts, strategies, et cetera, that worked well for me. If I can share that knowledge with others and they can learn from my mistakes, learn what went well, and maybe give them a jump start, all the better. Late 2021, that kind of merged into a podcast, the Wealth and Freedom Nexus podcast. I started touching on interviews with various real estate turnkey providers to tax strategies to expat living, investing and living overseas. And then I kind of took a little branch off of that. I started a YouTube only show called hashtag screw the W2, where I interview entrepreneurs and people like myself that basically said, screw the W2, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, investor, business owner, whatever, and had that more of like an inspirational piece where here's some stories to inspire others to leave their W2, where my W Freedom Nexus platform is kind of more of the actual how-to or substance or education piece of it. That's awesome. And I'm biased, but the hashtag screw the W2. I mean, that's a great name for- Oh, thanks. (laughs) So, and I love what you're doing too, which is you're sharing your experiences. You said you made some mistakes. Is there a mistake or two that you you made that you typically share with folks? Hey, don't do this because we all have, right? I wouldn't say so much of a mistake, but the biggest thing that I've seen 
or I should say I've experienced and I don't really, you know, a lot of the gurus I've never seen anyone talk about is, you know, they hand all these pro pharmas and, oh, rent's going to go up, pick your number, 8% a year and the real estate will appreciate 6% and here's your cash flow, blah, blah, blah. I've never seen one take into account insurance and property taxes. It's like, well, as your property goes up in value, those bills will also probably go up. That isn't a static thing. Likewise, back to that fourplex story, I learned about what's called a homestead exclusion, where in one year, the property taxes went up almost $1,000 because the previous owner lived in it, lived in one unit that rented out the others. Well, once it goes to non-owner occupied, the homestead exclusion goes away and you get a bump up in property taxes. So that was probably my one oversight that I never heard mentioned or didn't even think about. Yeah, that's a great share. And I was chuckling on your spreadsheet thing. I had a guy on the show a couple of weeks ago. He says, I look at spreadsheets all day. I get pitch businesses all day long. I've never seen a bad spreadsheet. They're all up and to the right. And oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad that you brought that up because you know you don't always have all the numbers in there when you look at some of these pro formas, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say the providers are lying, but I think they're very blue sky, very presumptuous on some of the high end targets. It's like, no, what's the lowest amount of rent that this can rent for? I want to use that. What does it look like for projected increases in taxes and insurance? I plug in five and a half percent annually for mine. And I'd rather be conservative and be surprised versus shoot for the moon and get disappointed. Yeah. No, the stress test, you got to do it. You got to do it. Cool. All right. So you have the inspirational, and this is great too, because people are driven by different areas, right? Like I'm big on inspiration. I love to be inspired. That always drives me to take action. So you're doing that with Screw the W2. A lot of people need inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. And then others need like the tactical education stuff. Like here's the how-to to to make them feel safe and comfortable and like, hey, this person did it. Yeah, I'm going to follow the same path, right? So you're kind of covering everything there, which I think is really great. Yeah. And like I said, it was just kind of more of, I viewed it as if I could rewind, you know, go back in time, what would I share with the 2014 John of, you know, skip this crappy seminar, don't read this book, don't mess around with this is like, let's just cut to the chase, go from here. So if I can share my experiences and help someone go farther faster than I have, all the better. Agree 100%. The people that you work with, John, or that you help, are there some commonalities amongst all of them that you see in terms of what keeps them in the job? Like what keeps them stuck and what prevents them from doing the thing that they want to do? Yeah. I think a lot of it just comes down to the fear of taking the first step. And I think sometimes they look of, you know, they look like, well, geez, John, you got property in five states. There's no way I could do that. I'm like, well, I didn't do that overnight. That was over almost 10 years. Whereas, okay, what's something you do feel comfortable? And I think I always joke about, it's like, yeah, my first investment property was a fourplex. I don't necessarily recommend that, but it doesn't have to be a fourplex for someone. It can be a single family home. It can be a house hacking. They rent out a portion of the room, Airbnb, you know, create a accessory dwelling unit or buy a hundred bucks of a REIT stock, you know, just start somewhere and start small and build your way up. I think so many people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in five. They just got to take it one step at a time. Absolutely. During your education, and I agree 100%, got to take one foot in front of the other. Okay. We're mm-hmm. not chopping down the whole tree in one day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
So you're in the education phase, and I was in the education phase for probably seven years before I did actually did something. I acted like a real estate investor. I looked at deals, you know, I talked to brokers and walked sure. through properties, but I didn't do anything. So stuck in education. I became addicted to it actually. So yep. you were in about in about it for a year. So what was like your first step that maybe was a little bit daunting that got you, you know, the momentum to get that four unit? I think the first step was really just being very clear with what I wanted. I kind of had, like I said, I really wanted to go with the buy and hold. My wife said, you know, from day one, we're doing a property manager. We're not self-managing. I'm like totally in agreement. And I had my criteria of what I was going to look for. I'm at the 1% rent to value ratio, newer build, et cetera. And even my wife said, well, you'll never find that. And it just happened to pop up on the MLS one day. And sure enough, it's like, well, the good news is it met all the criteria. The bad news is it's over double what I was intended on paying because it's a fourplex, not a single family. <laughs> right. And you still have it. So the deal works. Yep, still have it. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you had clarity on what you wanted, and then mm-hmm. you had a plan that you did not waver from. Correct. Okay. And most people don't have that, in my opinion. They don't have clarity, and they definitely don't have a plan. Mm-hmm. And even now, I mean, like I said, buy and hold investment isn't exactly new, but the 1% rule, some people say, well, now it's kind of the 0.8% rule. And I've done deals less than 1%, but 0.8 is pretty much my floor. And I've seen too many people almost justify like, well, I'll just go a little bit lower. I'll just go a little bit lower, almost to the point that they're negative cash flow. And then their 5-1 arm comes up, their property taxes go up 20%, whatever the case, and then they're upside down. The deal just explodes. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, I'd rather be very clear with what I want. And if it's a year, two years before I buy another deal, so be it. I'm not going to be stuck with a bad deal and regret it. Okay. We've talked about 1% rule probably seven or eight times here. Oh, sir. <laughs> we both know what that is. But for those of you listening, John's going to explain what he means by the 1% rule when it comes sure. to real estate investing. Please. Yeah. So this isn't like guaranteed pass fail. It's just kind of a quick back of the envelope math. When you're doing your due diligence stress test, just simple numbers. If it's a $100,000 property, it should get $1,000 a month in rent. That just as a quick number back of the envelope math, should cover mortgage, insurance, taxes, and still leave you a good enough cushion with tax or cash flow. Now, over the years, that's kind of been going like $100,000 property, getting $850 a month, $800. There was one I just laughed about. It was a like 0.49 rent to value ratio. I just laughed. It's like, ah, someone else can buy that one. <laughs> right. Okay. Thank you for explaining. I do it all the time. You know, just as sure. a quick, like you said, back a napkin kind of math thing, you still have to look at the real data. And in Mm -hmm. places where taxes are super high, like here where I live in Chicago, like the 1% rule, sometimes you get whacked with the taxes, you know, but (laughs) yeah, that's why I think you're looking at strategic markets as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are just hung up by like, well, I have to invest in my backyard. Like I said, Birmingham, Alabama, we fell in love with. Yeah, they've had some increases of taxes and insurance, but I think they're the 48th or 49th in the nation for lowest property taxes as a percentage of the home value. So, you know, Alabama is probably going to be a market that I continue to invest in for the long term. Yeah. And maybe talk a little bit about what you have going on in markets that you're not in. Like, who's your team? Like, how do you make it so that, as you say, it's as passive as possible? Sure. So whenever I evaluate a market, I always visit. I mean, I haven't necessarily seen every property I've purchased, but I've seen the area always meet with the turnkey provider of property management. 
I learned early on, always have like a primary, but have a secondary property management in your back pocket in case they get into trouble, file for bankruptcy, decide to retire early. Then you're just not like scrambling to find a property manager. Also to me, yeah, the property managers work good to have as a point of contact for your electricians, your contractors, plumbers, HVAC, et cetera. I always like to have a few additional contacts, other realtors, other investors, handyman, so to speak, just to kind of have maybe a second opinion of a, oh, geez, I got this quote for $500 for this. Does that seem in line? And yeah, that is more expensive or nope, they're raking you over the coals. I'd get a second quote from them. Yeah. Great. So you basically have a team in place and you got some backups as well, which is, I I wrote that down. I had not (laughs) thought of that. Because not all property management companies stick around forever, right? Yeah, it, we can say this for another podcast because I'm just at the tail end of fixing this one up. But I actually had a one property management company uh, file for bankruptcy the day after I sent them five thousand dollars to turn two units. Oops. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a whole another topic we can touch base on another time. <laughs> hey, look, you're sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly too, John. And I think you would agree that just because you leave your W two job. It doesn't mean that it's going to be roses and rainbows for the rest of your no. <laughs> for the rest of your life. You're just out of that life, and you're taking control of your finances, and you know you're going to exactly. have more time and freedom. Yeah, would you agree? Exactly. Yeah, like I said, I just look at it, you know, kind of back to the story of the retirement funds that we're just all kind of pressured to get into. It's like, you know, not to say that money from a retirement account isn't a bad idea, but let's just focus on getting streams of income that pay you today. And in retirement, you know, not just deferring everything to 30, 40 years in the future. Right. Which is unknown and you don't know what's going to happen to it. And as you said, you don't even know if you're going to be around. Yeah. Well, I mean, even just real quick story, uh, my next door neighbor about three weeks ago, age 52, went downstairs to watch a game and died in his chair. They think it was a heart attack. I mean, relatively healthy. His daughter's graduating high school this year. I mean, it's just kind of goes to show it's like none of us are guaranteed to pick your date 55, 62, 65, 67, whatever arbitrary day in the future. That's not guaranteed. So why not start living your life and building your life now? I couldn't possibly agree more. Very inspirational. John, where can we go to learn more about all the stuff that you're teaching? Sure. I always joke I'm not too hard to find. There's actually only three Rick Garns in the entire world. So if you just go on Facebook or LinkedIn, look at John Rickgar, and I'm the only one that pops up. Also with having a unique name, uh, you do see above my shoulder, I have wfreedomnexus.com. And that's also my handle on Twitter, Instagram, and my YouTube channel. If that's too much of a mouthful or too long to write down, just go to rickgarn.com. It redirects you to all my resources. So it's just my last name.com, eight characters, you know, pretty quick and easy. That's awesome. I like that. Yep. You're the first Rick Garn I've come across. So I believe what you say. We'll leave all that stuff in the show notes too. John, I do have a couple more questions for you. Sure. One would be, what's maybe a habit or two that you've developed between, you know, maybe pre-W2 to post-W2 that you do consistently that really you think kind of set you up for success? Well, probably the biggest thing is I just try to learn something new every day. I mean, I think back to high school, you know, we're always like looking forward to like, oh, I can't wait till I graduate. I'm done with school. I'm done with college. It's like, at the end of the day, you should be a lifelong learner. The biggest difference is you can learn about what you want to learn, not have advanced calculus shoved down your throat. But I've always been in a habit of reading every single day. 
I've been addicted to Kindle for quite a while. And I think the last time I checked, I'm at 1,065 days of straight reading or something like that when I started keeping track of it. Wow. You got me beat for sure. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Okay. There's even there... a few times like right before bed, like, oh, crap, I didn't read anything today. So I pull up my phone at like 11 o'clock at night and my wife's like, I'm trying to sleep. I'm like, I just need five minutes just to register that I read for the day and keep my streak going. <laughs> yeah, I love it. No, that's meaningful to you, too. Do you have like a number in mind to get it to or are you just going to go for uh, Yeah, I don't know. So it's interesting. If you look at the Kindle app on the screenshot, there isn't a lot of space once you get past a thousand days. So I've always kind of wondered, it's like, so if you hit 10,000, does it go to a smaller font? Does it like null out or what? So I can't do that in my head of what 9,000 days from now is. I think that's like 20 years. I don't know, something like that, but maybe I'll see if I get there. <laughs> All right. We'll have you on for the 10,000 yeah. <laughs> day if we're still doing podcasts. Okay. John, this has been great. I appreciate all the insight and sharing the value. So of the listeners, most of them, majority of them are in situations that they feel stuck in, right? It's a job. Maybe it's something a little bit different. They just feel stuck in their life. They know they want something different. They know they want something more. Not maybe sure what it is. Maybe they do know what it is, but they're just jammed in this spot, mm -hmm. right? They just feel bogged down, as you say, by all the brainwashing that's been going on for our entire yeah. lives. You're in a room with them, right? You're in a room with them. What would you say to them? What advice would you give? If I can like give one piece of advice and probably is the first well chain to break, so to speak, is I think we are so brainwashed that we need a job like job equals income. That's the only way to get income. And at the end of the day, it's like you don't necessarily need a job. You need an income stream or income streams to pay for your bills. And whether that's a W-2 job, you're self-employed, it doesn't even have to be passive income, you know, become an Uber driver, start a Turo business, a door dasher. You know, I mean, there's just countless opportunities with the internet nowadays that, yeah, it might not be as passive, but at least you have a little bit more control of your finances, but just try to disconnect. There are more opportunities to earn money than just a W-2 job, which fun fast fact is the highest taxed form of income out there. So you're always kind of one step behind. Totally. And we could have an entire show on what, on what you just <laughs> said about the tax bracket thing. But basically what you're saying is you have to have a mindset shift. Like that would be your advice. Like just start thinking differently, which is what you did when you were 31 years old. Yeah. In hindsight, I wish I started at 21, but you can't make up for the past. <laughs> I don't think I've ever met any entrepreneur or investor. That's like, you know, I wish I would have started 10 years later. You know, it's exactly. Yeah. Or maybe all... 20 years later, might yeah, as well just yeah. hold off. <laughs> We all say the same thing, but John, hey, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on today. I know you dropped a ton of uh, great knowledge bombs on the listeners, and I look forward to continuing to connect with you, everyone. Make it an outstanding day. You bet. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. Don't forget, you can watch all full episodes on our YouTube channel. Definitely check that out, and please subscribe. Go to www.w2prisonbreak.com to learn more. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review so we can continue to support you and the thousands of others planning their W-2 prison break. Here's to busting you out.